episode of the game podcast i'm your host jerry thompson here with me is michael majors very exciting times we have a lot of preview cards from almond cat so we're going to be talking about some decks but first uh, i want to hear about mexico city it was well i guess we hadn't even I, I didn't actually expect you to ask me this question yeah i know but i i didn't actually know what happened so this is this is the time i get i don't even really want to talk about it like i'm not trying to be melodramatic or whatever you know you know that's not really me i do it was basically the least fun tournament I've played in a long time. Um, and there's there, there's two reasons for that. One is that like I actually felt super well prepared. We spent like a week in San Antonio like doing team seals and drafting and we were doing really well in those. And then two, our pool was really bad. Uh, we misbuilt it a little bit and I ended up with like the unplayable deck, which is fine. Like I don't I don't care about that. I like scrapping. Yeah, yeah, like I don't mind, but like my deck was really 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 bad. Uh, we lost our winning in and I was going to win three matches throughout the day, and every time I was going to win, uh, my teammates won. So that was really depressing. Yeah, so you were you were just completely irrelevant the entire time. Correct. And I lost two matches that would have won the match for our team, and they were super close, and I barely lost. Yep. It was not fun, and I, I really wanted to re-roll our pool and play in day two, because I actually thought we... If you could run the tournament 100 times or whatever, I think we would have done well about 70 times. Yeah. Well, welcome back home, man. Uh, it's it's good to be back. I don't know. It, it felt like a baby pro tour, basically, because we were testing for like ten days, and it's just yeah, kind of kind of too much for some grand prix, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, totally. But it's like it, it was just more feasible to stay there instead of like fly home and fly again, right? So yeah, yeah. From like a cost perspective, it made a lot of sense. But I'm glad to be back in my average life in Roanoke, Virginia. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we have a couple weekends off. I'm sure. Thank, we'll be, thank God. Yeah. I mean, I, I had this weekend off, and it was great, so... I'm, I'm telling you, man, it's going to be fun. You're going to enjoy yourself. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I plan on not really doing shit at all this weekend. Probably uh, going to play a lot of Hearthstone, get some rogue quests completed. Hell yeah, I'm right there with you. But uh, other than that, you know, got a, a new set in Hearthstone, which I won't spend much more time talking about, which is fun. And then, obviously, Amonkhet, which is why we're here. Uh, presumably, over the next few weeks, we'll just be talking about Standard. We have a list of nine or ten decks that we could talk about uh most of the things are like new or new enough like new spins on old things and it seems like the set is pretty deep and hopefully next week we'll have like maybe some indication of what the better decks are going to be looking like because you've been playing versus videos and stuff so you know what's going on as of this recording we're at roughly like 140 ish i believe 151 140 151 okay i assume by the time we record next week the full spoiler will be out right because the that weekend is the pre-release i think oh. yeah yeah then it should be that monday okay you know obviously some of that's just gonna be like filler or whatever but there there still should be a lot left in the set yeah so you played a versus video today with naya aetherworks marvel featuring what is this card six dub approach of the second sun so i'm i'm i think we're gonna be talking about a lot of new cards so i'm not gonna like read the text and i'm just gonna assume that at this point people are kind of familiar with what's in the set i think that's fair or at the very least just you know listen with mythic spoiler open if you can your fair warning that maybe you should look over the spoiler before continuing with this podcast hell yeah okay so naya aetherworks marvel with this card i was looking at this card and i was like where can i put this because it seems powerful you did the thing that you do where you find the obvious home, and I'm just like, yeah, that's genius. I wish I would have thought of that. What is this, seventh from the top or whatever? 
Yeah, the perfect number. Yeah, so, it's just, it's like, come on, that is, that's so obvious. Let's say you marvel into this card, then it's suddenly seven from your top, and then, like, during your upkeep, you can crack your puzzle knot, and then marvel again, and then draw it for your turn. Like, Ulamog is good, right? I, and I was actually, so you wrote an article Wednesday that had this decklist in it, and I was surprised to not see any Ulamogs. It seemed like this would be a good complement to it, but... Obviously, having a bunch of uncastable stuff in your deck is not great. Like, how was it just having this effectively as your win condition? Well, to be fair, Tom did what he did and played, like, the hyperlinear aggro deck against me, and my sideboard was not well-prepared, so I got run over pretty badly. Okay. But I, I do think the deck was, you know, pretty functional and made a lot of sense. It, it was misbuilt a little bit. Like, it's weird I actually just, like, flooded on enchantments, because once you have cast out in your deck, like... You have too many enchantments for Delirium. You know, I, I, I kind of need to work on a little bit. Renewed Faith was a little underwhelming, which makes sense. I probably pushed the, the life gain theme a little bit too hard, but other than that, I think my only real error was not playing Chandra in the main deck because plussing her and casting Second Sons is, like, very reasonable. Yep. No, that's legit. But I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, you can just kind of stall the game out with Ishkana and then just, like, turtle up and cast this thing twice, and that's pretty feasible. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, your deck has a lot of castouts, a lot of renewed faiths. You have main deck Manglehorn, which is certainly at least viable. I'm not sure if it's going to be like the correct call or not, but those are certainly slots that you could play with to have like more defensive measures or maybe more hits off Aetherworks Marvel or something. Yeah, I could even see like kind of incorporating the miniature verse package and having like one Manglehorn and maybe like one other bullet in addition to your Ishkanaz. Yeah, and then you play like a couple Ballistas or something in addition to Chandra. Yep. Just, like, some stuff that's both good against the combo, early interaction, and helps with Delirium. So, this 1RR cycling sweeper card was not spoiled at this point, I assume? Correct. It, it should have been in my sideboard, for sure. Sweltering Suns is the name. To be fair, I could have just played with, like, Radiant Flames, I guess, but I, this card is better. Yeah, I mean, that, that card seems phenomenal. Could even be a main deck card, because it's like... You want some way to interact with creatures, and if you're going to do that, you don't want to have to kill everything with spot removal, especially if your deck has all this other air in it, like the Woodweaver's Puzzle Knots, the Vessels. Like, you're not necessarily going to be able to grind people out with one-for-ones, so I think you do want some sort of sweeper effect. Marble decks in the past used to play, like, the the four-dub-dub card that made it an angel. Descend Upon the Sunful. Yeah, that one. And, and, like, Fumigate and stuff. Like, these are options that you have access to. I actually think those are a lot more reasonable in this deck, too. A, because, like, you're actually interested in playing a bunch of white mana because of uh, cast out, but B, just because, like, you don't have to, like, win the game in a traditional means. You can just, like, clear the board. Your opponent takes five or six more turns to kill you, and you just, like, cast Second Sons and kill them. Yeah, so this deck seems pretty real. I don't know how it's going to end up being, you know, refined and built and everything, but it seems really good. Yeah, yeah, I think it's promising. Uh, I think a lot of people would probably just, like, write off this card as a, you know, a gimmick joke card because it's just, like, a life gain card, but it, I, I think it's actually quite real. Yeah, it says you win the game on it. I mean, obviously, it is a seven mana sorcery, so pretending that that card is a viable way to, to tackle the format when the Sahili combo is a thing is it's kind of a pipe dream, but I think a, it is... A little doable. ambitious. Yeah. Uh, notably, the deck is not the greatest turn four Marvel deck, which is... Obviously, a huge benefit of, like, Ulamog and things along those lines that just say I win the game. Uh, because, like, if you don't have Delirium online, then your turn four uh, Marvel activations just aren't very good. Either build the deck a little bit differently, maybe include more proactive stuff, like I was talking about with, like, Chandra. Or maybe just, like, move towards more interaction than there is in the deck right now and just try to, like, set up for, like, the turn six Marvel. Yeah, it's possible that you just build it, like, a value deck, right? Yeah. 
And I then, can see Nahiri's or whatever. Yeah, and then your your Marvel will eventually kill them with Approach of the Second Sun, but yeah, you're not going to get the, the turn four win. I mean, maybe that's a reason to like play two Ulamogs or something, I don't know. That's possible. Also, like, you really do want to, like, set up the Marvel activation into Marvel activation draw second suns. Yeah, and it seems tough to get 12 energy with this deck. Right. I don't know, some stuff to think about for sure, but I think that this shell, in some capacity, makes sense. What was Tom's deck? Because we're we're getting into, like, the red cards. Oh, he was just mono-white humans, you know, the usual. He had Glorybound Initiate plus Always Watching, which was super good. That's a great interaction for sure. Yep. He was just, like, hyper-lean, you know, basically how he builds his decks, but he actually had four cast out in the main, kind of just under the assumption that he'd be cycling it about 50% of the time, and that seemed pretty good. It's pretty common for that deck to, like, want to sink a mana on one specific turn or whatever, so, like, drawing two cast out isn't really a big cost. Yeah, it's not, but, like, losing the mana efficiency on those turns, you know, kind of stinks. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you want to move to, like, 3x or whatever, but... I think he's not really interested in playing any top end other than always watching anyways, so like, if you do actually draw four lands and you have something to do with it, you can interact on that turn and then kind of pull ahead again, so I think it's reasonable. Fair enough. So, Red X, I was I was pretty excited about this because we got some pretty good cards off the bat, and then we got a couple more, so have you been thinking about this at all? I put a little thought into like, you know, the red-black madnessy Blood Hall Priest deck, but not just like a, you know, straight-up red deck wins. I mean, that's that's the one that I'm more interested in. It seems like straight-up red deck wins, like, might be a better deck, potentially. But, yeah, the, like, the Madness cards, like, there there are so many of them. There's a lot of different routes you can go down. They're all kind of, like, medium payoffs and enablers. But it doesn't seem like there's an overwhelmingly powerful shell that you should play. So, I don't know. Like, I want to experiment with this, but I feel like no matter what, I'm just going to get it wrong, you know? Yeah, I can understand where you're coming from. Generally speaking, A, I like building, like, synergy decks more so than just, like, you know, super efficient decks or whatever. So, like, the Blood Hall Priest angle appeals to me more and then, like, incorporating the Red God or whatever. I- I'm not really sure. I kind of agree. I don't really know how to approach just, like, the straight-up pound-for-pound rate Red deck. Soul Scar Mage. What's the other one? Flame Blade Adept. I'm, like, scrolling through trying to find these cards so I don't mess up the names. Like, those are obvious includes. But you still got to work a little bit just to include the Adept. Like, Soul Scar is definitely good. Yeah, a, a little bit, but not much. It's like Fury Blade Vampire. The, oh god, which one is that? So it's it's a 1R, 1-2. I think it has Natural Trample, and then at the beginning of combat, you can discard a card to give it plus 3, plus 0. Maybe it's to give it plus 3, plus 0 and Trample. I don't I don't remember exactly. But I had the the Aquamiba in my deck initially, but I think that one is just better. The The problem with like those kinds of decks is I would be concerned if something like Ishkana picked up. They just have like no way to break through. It's possible that you end up playing Key to the City, on Crop Crasher, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, like the... The Exert, can't block. Yeah, the Exert, Heel Cutter-ish type thing. I mean, that, like, that card's definitely great. As long as it's not exactly Ishkana, right? Like, you have a lot of ways to push through, and, and then even Hazret, the god, like, it's a pretty reasonable way to finish them. Yeah, I feel ya. I don't know. I'll, I'll leave that one to you. How about that? Ooh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Uh, what about Combat Celebrants? Uh, r- remind me. This is the 2R, 4, 1. Uh, if it hasn't been exerted this turn, you may exert it as it attacks. When you do, untap all creatures you control, and after this phase, there's an additional combat phase. Uh, I mean, that card definitely seems sweet, but I kind of imagine we're in a world where, like, Shock, Magma Spray, Harness Lightning are going to be pretty prominent, so, like, 
a three drop dying to those cards is a little rough. Yeah, Ballista is another one where it's like, why is, yeah, why is, yeah. why is this a four one? You know, like, come on. It reads very strong, and I think if you do get to exert it, you're almost certainly going to win the game. At what point are you actually just like, I am not going to play this because it dies to Doomblade, or in this case, Shock and everything else like that, you know? It's like you're, you're trading three mana for one or zero mana, effectively, if they have a Ballista, so... It's kind of risky, and on Crop Crashers, like, also in the same spot on your curve, kind of helps you finish the game. Not as explosive or anything, but maybe just gets the job done better. So it's like, is this card actually worth playing or not? I don't know. It kind of strikes me as, like, a good cyborg card. Like, th- I mean, this is the card that you would want against, like, Marvel or something, right? Some sort yeah, of just, like, just the, to goldfish them. Yeah. But I would also be concerned, like, going back to the Walking Ballista point, like, odds are good that Walking Ballista is going to be pretty strong against the rest of the cards in your deck too so if you have to like clear the way to get this 4-1 into play then like they're probably going to kill something on the way out with their ballista if you cast a removal spell so it just kind of gets messy really fast the the beautiful thing about these two one drops is that they both have two toughness that that is true uh the the one two prowess in particular looks really good to me you can just make it so your deck is not it's basically like resistant to ballista for one then i i think you're in a pretty good pretty good spot there's also the uh, the bear that got printed that's basically like Eidolon for activated abilities. Yeah, Harsh Mentor. Yeah, that, that card seems awesome. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to picture how much this is going to deal per game, and it's just like a grizzly bear. It doesn't have like any sort of evasion. I think if it just deals two, it's good, though. Yeah, I just feel like grizzly bear just gets brickwalled so easily in the standard format. You know, like everyone's trying to get on board very quickly for various reasons, and... Maybe it's just this thing that you're happy to trade away and whatever, but it just, I don't know. It doesn't necessarily feel worth it, but, like, the two drops, there, there's nothing that I'm, like, dying to play anyway, so maybe it, it just makes the cut because of that. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Red traditionally has, like, these resilient three-toughness two-drops or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it depends. If you are mono-red, then you almost certainly play this. If you are more of a discard theme, you can probably look somewhere else, and if you want to, like even play like a light splash of black you could just play scrap heap scrouncher you know like the the mana is kind of free it, it might have even gotten better because you're probably interested in playing the the cycle land anyways and that makes your uh foreboding ruins not a complete joke anymore which is nice yep i i think the format is pretty soft to a very fast aggressive deck especially one with a lot of reach i'm kind of drawn to this because of that because i think just in theory it, it could be really good but i don't know if like these cards are good enough compared to everything else that people are doing in the format. Yeah, I'm not sure. For your reach to actually be, like, super good, you definitely have to get into Fiery Temper, I think, and that kind of puts you on the Lightning Axe path, so it's sort of this, you know, linear rabbit hole that you're kind of stuck in, but, you know, maybe that's a good place to be. All right, all right. So far, like, how interested are you in the Marvel deck, just to bring it back to that a little bit? Like, what scale of 1 to 10? Mm, probably, like, a 6. Okay. Red deck, I think I'm, like, a 7. Okay. Blood Hall Priest, I'm, I'm, I'm like a 7 as well. R- rest of the squad, probably like a 4. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that's that sounds about right. I mean, like, Fiery Temper is like the card, right? If you can actually get that to be good. Yeah, I, I'm, 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 Blood Hall Priest is so filthy. You can just set up these, like, super sick, like, two-turn sequences where you went from, like, attacking your opponent with, like, 1 to 2 damage to, like, killing two things and having 8 power on the board. Yeah. Okay, so medium excited, medium plus excited about both decks, we'll say. Sure, sure, that's reasonable. Okay, so this one this one is kind of a throwaway. I imagine this is not going to get very far, but white-blue tokens. Yeah, so like the, the draw here is uh, Timmet, the whatever the hell, 
Vizier of Nactamoon. I, I think this card is really good. It reads well. Like It has a solid rate, an evasive ability that's powerful. It's like a decent grindy card, but I just don't know if there's like support for the shell overall. And also, this is a card that's just like kind of weak to Magma Spray. So Yeah, I, I've just been looking too, and it's like, since we have almost 100 cards left, it's like, well, maybe there's something... Right, but it's just like, man, all these cards, they just don't look great. Like, Anointer Priest, like the 1-dub-1-3 where you gain life when a creature token enters the battlefield. It's like, come on, like, that's not the payoff card I want. <laughs> it's, it's the payoff for your opponent, <laughs> Felidar Guardian comboing you, I guess. No, it's uh, enters the battlefield under your control. Oh, come on. Yeah, it's that's a tilt. Uh. So, so Manglehorn, Manglehorn was the happy accident, right? Yeah, and this and, this is the realization that it was a happy accident. Yeah, Anointer Priest, man, you know, if only, if only. Brutal. All right, back back to our garbage authority of the consoles. Okay, yep. Well, Thalia, Thalia's a thing, right? Yeah, yeah, Thalia's legit. It's just like, obviously, you, you build this white-blue deck, you're going to end up with Gideon allies in a car in your deck. So it's just like, is this really the best Gideon deck you can build? Probably not. Like, would you rather have Temet or Unlicensed Disintegration? I'm pretty sure you can't have both. Unblockable is so good, though. For sure, for sure. And also, uh, like, I, I wrote in my article, I, I think it's probably borderline unplayable, but I really like Failure to Comply. That card is sweet. Which one is this? So this is the, what are they actually called? The two-sided cards in your graveyard. Oh, yeah. The Well, it's the split flashback card, yeah. The token deck that I was writing up had, like, two of these in it. And yeah, I, so. I, yeah I, I feel about the same way as you do, where it's like, this is probably unplayable. You know, it's like, we tried to play Unsubstantiate when it came out, and it's like, yep. when when are we going to learn, Michael? When are we going to learn? I don't know, I mean, uh, just like, for reference, this is it's 1U from your hand, return target spell to its owner's hand, and then W from your graveyard, name a card, your opponent cannot play it for a single turn. You, you can definitely get Gideon advantage through this card, and then like, if you can just, you know, leverage that tempo, you can probably take over the game, but... Are your cards going to line up perfectly like that? Who knows? Yeah, but what if you just cast Negate or, like, Metallic Rebuke with a clue? Well, you can, like, bounce their three drop and then just, like, preemptively get Gideon and build your board. You can you can kind of, like, you know, just worst-case scenario them, which is fine because it only costs one mana. Yeah. And it doesn't actually cost you a full card technically since you've kind of gained some sort of value off, you know, keeping them off their play on turn three or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you you are you are definitely down a card, and they may not even have a Gideon anyway. But yeah, certainly it's like if you bounce their three, and then you're able to set up something so that their three doesn't matter. Like maybe you play an Always Watching or two creatures or whatever, and then they untap and they have like two Gideons in their hand and just have to replay their three drop. Like yeah, you're gonna win. What if that card was anything else? Yeah, I mean, this again, this is the reality of the situation coming into play where I'm pretty sure this card is just not good, but I like it. Or what if you've drawn, like, one extra land? What if you're just slightly flooded? Drawing this card hurts real bad. I, I feel you, I feel you. And, and it literally does nothing if you're behind on the board. So, so far, White Blue Tokens doesn't look like it's a thing, could be a thing, potentially, but we're going to need more than this. There, there's really not much payoff here. Even when, like, white-blue flash was a thing, that deck was actually, like, kind of marginal in disguise, and the only reason, like, it was actually good was because of Smuggler's Copter, so. Yeah, and I was looking at it, too, and it's like, well, I guess I'll play Spell Queller, and I guess I'll play Thraben Inspector, and it's like, okay, well, this is just a bad flash deck. All right, well, are you ready to kind of poo-poo over this next one? I'm sure 
we're gonna get hate mail for this. Let's talk about zombies. Dude, like, what I was telling, you know, you before we got on the air was that all these cards, like, look cool, and, like, the rates aren't even bad, but just, like, zombie tribal is just always bad. It just never matters. It's not good. The games just don't grind. Like, people aren't beating you with spot removal spells, and then you're just, like, eking out these small advantages. It's like, they they kill your first couple things, and then play, like, a Torrential Gear Hulk and kill you with it. Yeah, and or, zombies or, are just always two-twos. <laughs> they just stop mattering eventually. Yeah, they even, like, play a Planeswalker. It's just like, yeah, Dread Wanderer, like, the Jackal Pup that comes back. So, like, things like Plague Belcher interest me. It's like three mana, five, four menace. ETB, you put two minus one minus counters on target creature you control. Whenever another zombie you control dies, each opponent loses one life. It's like, okay, that's kind of a payoff, right? It's really big. It has, like, two different ways of killing your opponent between menace and the drain thing. That's a good card. That card is scary, but, like, I don't want to play this with Jackal Pup. Right. I, I like the, the beat-up 2-2 two -two that also drains when zombies enter the battlefield. Like, that card is sweet. It is sweet, but it's mostly just a grizzly bear, and it's like, I, I need these things to be able to attack and block, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, these small ball incremental advantage, like, cards, just, like, aristocratic stuff just doesn't really work these days. Yeah, and we're, we're in seven set standard at this point. Like, the power level's high. You can do much better than this stuff. I mean, I would, I would like these cards to be good coupled with the Black God, because I think the Black God is very good, being a three-mana, th three-mana, four-powered menace creature. See, again, like, this thing, like, the Plague Belch or whatever, like, this card is scary. This card yeah. kills you. This thing just, like, munches on Planeswalkers every turn the entire game. But, you know, is there the necessary payoff? Unclear. It looks like the good cards are the aggressively slanted ones, right? It's, like, not, not the grindy cards, so it's very unlikely that you could just build some sort of, like, mono-black mid-range deck, like Liliana, for example, like... She, she makes zombies, rebuys things. Obviously, if you have, like, value creatures, then it's great. In theory, if that deck existed, Liliana would be in it. But it's like, the, the attractive stuff is the beatdown stuff. And then if you're beating them down, you don't need the grindy stuff. And the grindy stuff takes up a lot of the power level where, like, stats would be instead. So, like, Relentless Dead, for example, it's like Grizzly Bear. Great. If they print exactly Zombie Viscerous here, I'm in. Okay. No, I could I could totally see that. That, that's, like, the kind of thing. You need something, like, cheap that gives you some sort of incremental advantage that also is a sacrifice outlet, I think. And stuff like the the Grizzly Bear that drains them and, like, Zulaport Cutthroat or whatever, Crypt Breaker, like, those things are not doing it. Yep, just a little too man-intensive for what they are. Everybody else is just doing dramatically more powerful things. Like, I like the idea of zombies. I would like to have that deck be good. I am definitely more excited for it than Blue-White Tokens, but... This is like a three for me. I'll, I'll go with a two, but I am like a eight out of ten on the Black God. I, I genuinely think that card is yeah. great. Yep, same. Uh, what about Liliana? I think Liliana is really cool. What I am most interested in, her, in with her is... So this is something we kind of brainstormed, and then I like did a stream before deciding the deck was complete garbage and embarrassing myself further, but we collaborated, I guess, on a Black-Green Delirium deck splashing <laughs> the Sahile combo. Yeah, and this, this is another piece, right? Yeah, so like... This card rebuys all the Felidar Guardians from your graveyard and then gives you, you know, an additional piece of advantage. Once you're done re returning sufficient number of Felidar Guardians, you can return something else from your graveyard. Basically, Liliana's minus three is very, very powerful. Yeah, we've tried to build around, like, Zombify and Rise from the Grave and all that stuff. And having that tacked onto a Planeswalker that also does other stuff and, like you mentioned, has interactions with cards like Felidar Guardian, it's like, okay, you know, like, this is definitely something I'm kind of interested in. But where do we go from here, Michael? It's unclear. 
I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out something, but I don't know right now. But okay. yeah, a, a zombify attached to a planeswalker is, is big game for sure. It, it is a zombify. It's not a rise from the grave. It is only your graveyard. Yes. So her, her, her plus ability is like, you know, kind of baby build your graveyard. But I, I definitely want, I want to cast her in minus three or literally every time. Yeah, that, that is the hope. That is when she is at her best for sure. Yep. I don't know. I think there's potential. Yeah, I do too. This this is not like, you know, go out and, and buy this card or whatever, but if this card shows up at some point, I'm more likely to register that deck than something else. Sure. I mean, Vessel into, like, your Ishkana, grind out a little bit, cast Liliana. Like, like you Vessel into your land that you needed to, like, play Magic, and Ishkana ends up in your graveyard, and then, like, on turn six, you play Liliana and return Ishkana. That's awesome. Yeah, can you imagine playing, like, some mid-ranger control mirror, and you just have nothing, and then you're just like, Liliana, get back tracker, play a land? It's just like, they're dead. They're just straight dead. She is, like, a card that diversifies your board position in a very powerful way with only one card. And, like, that's a big deal. So, just need to work on that one. I'm pretty excited for that. And she might also end up being, like, you know, a three or a four of, which is weird for a five-drop Planeswalker. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And and other than that, it's just, like, she also just does a fine job at being, like, the Obnixilis type of thing in your sideboard. Just, like, a way to go slightly bigger in mid-range mirrors. Like, you don't necessarily have to build around this entirely. It's just, she is just a good card. And she probably also trumps basically every other Planeswalker that is suited to do those kinds of things. Okay. Uh, next thing. This is your area of expertise, I think. We're getting into Drakehaven territory. Oh, yeah, I'm all about it. Or, or or Curator of Mysteries territory? Which do you prefer? Curator of Mysteries is the card that has me legitimately interested in Drakehaven, so I guess that's the actual catalyst. Okay, I, w- I want to start off by saying I am very excited that a lot of these cards have cycling for only one mana. Yes, that, that that is like the actual requirement for them to be playable, I think. Like, a couple weeks ago we were talking about Archdemon, and it's like, yeah, this card is like, cool. Like, you have to choose to put Archdemon in your deck to hardcast it. When it comes to like, Curator and like, Wing Shepherd and things along those lines, like, those are cycling cards that like, the bonus is sometimes you get to cast them. Yeah, have you ever like, watched Limming in play where, you know, maybe they get their Cascade spell stripped or something and they just have to start hardcasting like, Deadshot Minotaurs and stuff? They still win a reasonable amount of those games. It's just like, this card is so good. It is just fine without cycling, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of people are really discrediting the fact that, like, you're just always going to cast Curator on turn four if you don't have a four drop. But, like, the majority of the time you're going to cycle it, so it's just, like, perfect. You get to utilize both modes, like, whenever it's convenient for you. All right, so tell me about Drake Haven. What are you working on? So I wrote about and played a Bant ongoing investigation deck against Todd today. My thought process was, well, if I can get lots of creatures into my graveyard, is there any payoff for doing so? Went down the rabbit hole and then ongoing investigation (laughs) came up. And then what am I doing if I got lots of clues? Well, I already tried a Trail of Mystery inspiring statuary deck, so might as well try out this one. How is it as far as like just being kind of dirtily and not really accomplishing a whole lot while you're trying to set up? Well, he played four color against me, so that's kind of like the litmus test for precisely that. He beat the crap out of me pre-board because, like, my deck was built to be a combo deck, and four color is just, you know, a a leaner, more efficient combo deck, obviously. Yeah. But once I, like, pivoted post-board into, like, a Tamiyo's Journal grindy control deck, I won both those games. That was pretty promising. So, like, with cycling cards, ongoing investigation in Tamiyo's Journal, you're basically demonic tutoring every single turn. That's very powerful. How was the statuary? Like, how many times did it come together where you're like, you know, statuary, part the water veil, like, doing all this stuff? Uh, I mean, it came up a little bit, but 
un- unfortunately like to contend with four color post board i kind of had to cut a lot of the combo elements so yeah i believe that that, that was less out of my deck or less in my deck i should say but I don't know. I think Statuary is like a fine card when it comes together in the strategy, but like not something you want to build your deck around, if that makes sense. Just kind of a value add. Yeah, maybe like you play like two, and it's just like a super powerful mana rock when you draw it. Yeah, and then you're probably going down on part the Water Veil also. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you definitely want one just because tutoring for it is so powerful and it usually lets you take over the game. But like chaining them is probably a little unreasonable just because you need like your full engine to be online to do that. What about Vizier of Tumbling Sands? Uh, this card is a lot more reasonable than it looks. It, it looks really ugly, but it, it, it basically cycles for colorless in a fake way. It's also, like, th- this never came up, but I could definitely see you just, like, playing it on turn three, and it's, it threatens to be a mana creature. Yeah, between that and just, you know, you're always threatening blockers and stuff. It's, like, it does a lot of small things. It's it's kind of like the creature Renewed Faith. Exactly. That. I think that's a good comparison. It, it, it looks like it doesn't really do a lot, but once you start getting into gameplay situations, you're pleasantly surprised. Okay, so Bant deck, scale 1 to 10. Built it really badly, so deck I posted 4, but strategy 8. And this is this is ongoing investigation itself, right? Yes. That, okay. That that interaction is legitimately great. Yeah, I, I definitely would not have expected that. I'm, I'm, I'm here to help, buddy. No, I appreciate that. I, I noticed, so you have two Drake Havens, one new Perspectives, four ongoing investigation... Ongoing investigation is certainly very mana-intensive. I assume that's why you're lighter on Drakehavens, like you can't have too much of these setup things that just tax your mana? Uh, that was the theory anyways, but in reality, it's, it probably should be closer to 3 and 3, or something along those lines. It's like drawing multiple ongoing investigations doesn't really accomplish anything. So when you were talking about like shifting your deck post-board against 4-color Sahili, I kind of wanted you to just like, you know, have Spell Quellers and Tomio and just like sideboard into a fish deck. I mean, that that's certainly a route you could take. I, I was more along the lines of just, like, tutoring up and negate every turn and then, like, fumigating Todd. That was pretty fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, don't, I was just basically thinking, like, is there a creature that we could have that's reasonable that could actually uh, trigger ongoing investigation with the combat damage thing? And maybe that's not entirely relevant, but... I mean, curve of turn 1-3, but into turn 2 ongoing is totally fine. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you're definitely going to get one or two out of it, but, like, Spellqueller is a card that might not just be bad, could just go in a lot of decks. Yeah. I mean, presumably, like, your drakes are going to start triggering it, too. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. So, the thing that I initially thought of was just pretty classic blue-white control, and I had four Drake Havens and three new perspectives? I think new perspective is just not good. I'm, I'm not positive yet, but I think it's just a trap. I fe- So, I feel like they're telling me to play this card with the blue god. For sure. I agree with that. So then it's like, okay, well, maybe maybe I should write this up, see how it looks, potentially try it. We, we talked about Kefnet last week, and it was like, how the hell do you get seven cards in your hand and still play Magic and all this stuff, and it seems like New Perspectives is the card? It does not seem good enough, but certainly once you have this with Drakehaven, you just kind of go off, but that, like you also all the cards just cycle for one mana. They're all so cheap. Right. Like Once you actually have six mana, if you're making you know two or three Drakes a turn, that should be enough. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm willing to explore and build around this thing, but I, I kind of feel like how you did with this deck, even though it's a little bit different, where it's just like, yeah, you just play one because it's fine, and that's your top end, but you certainly don't want to draw multiples, and making your stuff cycle for zero is not necessary whatsoever. I am excited about Drakehaven in this deck as well, but I think I would say, final note on this deck, biggest takeaway is that Tamiya's Journal is actually the, the really sick card. Yeah, but you need all the other stuff, too. 
No, you do. You do. Like, it's it's free to play some number of Drake Havens, but, like, the journal plus investigation plus cycling creature engine is is the, the real draw, I think. Yeah, it's, it's possible that you might just need to find a chain of cards to tutor for that kind of locks it up. Like, you were playing Inspiring Statuary and Part the Water Veil, but maybe there's just some other engine. Maybe, maybe not engine, but it's just, like, you find the right combination of cards where it does lock it up. Like, I don't know, like, Seasons Pass is the thing that comes to mind. That is almost certainly wrong, but that's the type of card that would just do it. No, that's, I think that's a really cool suggestion. I mean, it, it might just be as simple as, like, playing a little bit of Counter Magic and a Wrath in, in your main deck. Yeah, yeah, just more more interaction, because, yeah, Sahili for sure just seems like a nightmare, right? Like, I, I'm confused as to why you guys would even play that matchup. Because Todd is cruel. Yeah, yeah, just big old jerk. How, how has Manglehorn been, too? I guess we haven't really talked about that as far as, like, in practice. Uh, well, I haven't actually. <laughs> Tom played zero artifacts except for clues, and Todd was just playing four color, which, which it's fine against. Like, it's a nice piece of insurance or whatever, but, like... You, you need more stuff. It'll buy you a turn or whatever, but eventually it's just going to get oathed away. But it's, it's really going to shine in main decks as far as, like, fighting Mardu. Yeah, just Heart of Kieran in general. It seems like a lot of the uh, test decks or whatever for the new set so far, just like, where, where are the Heart of Kieran's? Because that card's still good. But yeah, I, th- I think Manglehorn is a acceptable main deck card. Like, you can't rely on it to beat four color. Let's just make yeah. that clear. Yep, for sure. It, it is definitely a thing that helps you, but it doesn't lock them out or anything, so. All right. Uh, your last deck. Let's talk about this <laughs> blue-red Drake Emerge deck. I think this is legit. So, yeah, obviously Drakehaven very clearly is, is great with cycling, but, you know, these these zombies that enter the battlefield from your graveyard, you discard two cards, you trigger your prized amalgams, turn on your Elder Deep Fiends. Suddenly, like, they bring along two Drakes every time you're activating them, and yeah. that's a big deal. You get ten power. I've, I've tried to kill people with, like, Stitchwing Scab, you know? It just, it doesn't work. It's I mean, so it, slow. It, it puts in some honest work, you know, it gets in that six points or whatever, but that, that extra four turn really goes a long way. Yeah, so, like, your best draws are when you have, like, two amalgams, right? It's like, that's enough where your deck actually starts feeling functional, like, maybe potentially broken, like, you're doing something a little bit better than your opponent. But when you have, like, zero or one amalgams, it's so completely fair, but Drakehaven just kind of changes the dynamic of that. I mean, it also just makes, like, your setup cards very good in the late game. Like, your Lightning Axes, your Tormenting Voices suddenly start getting a lot of value. Yeah, I don't know why, but I just associated Drakehaven with cycling. It was just like, oh, this is an Astral Slide or Lightning Rift, you know, some combination of the two or whatever. But, it's, yeah, it is just whenever you discard a card. Yeah, I saw this deck list and I was like, dude, what the hell are you doing? And then you're like, what are you talking about, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's another thing. Like, those additional pieces of pressure, just having an extra 2-2 or maybe two two twos laying around makes your deep fiends like significantly better oh yeah because you can't do the full 20 with deep fiends right but if you can like you know it, it, it can contribute a lot like it can get you know an extra 10 essentially or whatever so if you help it out at all like it's pretty easy to win the game yeah and each one gets so much more threatening past that too yeah and i i, I also legitimately think this is a great deck for hazaret so i'm pretty excited about this one I, I was wrong about this initially, what, like my initial assessment, but it was like, Hazaret also seemed kind of sketchy in here. I don't know. I mean, I just, just think like, it's, it's a great sort of out of place, that's all. It's a great follow-up to, you know, a Deep Fiend, I think, basically. I don't think it's unreasonable to, like, just 15 them on instep. Maybe, like, Scob, make a Drake, Deep Fiend them, untap Hazaret, and then you have, like, you know, 12 power or whatever. Is it possible that maybe you have too many creatures and maybe you need some more interaction because you're setting up a lot of the time for these big turns? Like, you're not nickel and diming them, really. No, that's definitely a good point. 
you're kind of like a combo deck. Yeah, I, I definitely I, templated it directly from you know the old blue red emerge deck, but it's it's definitely possible that you could kind of change it up. I definitely like moving away from Kozilek's return because that seems to defeat the purpose of what's going on here. You know. Oh yeah, we're trying to Drake him. So the card that we were talking about pre-show was this split flash card, reduced to rubble. This could potentially do things here. Uh, obviously, it works pretty well with Deep Fiend. Yeah, it's basically like, if you have a deck that is just naturally putting cards in your graveyard, this is a fine card to have. Like, you just get to mini-exhaustion them, which I think is good if it's free. I definitely don't want to have to work for this thing. And then, yeah, you have a crappy spell shrivel, but I think the rubble side is interesting as just kind of like a a lockout piece in the mid-to-late game. Yeah, I mean, and and this deck kind of like facilitates them playing into crappy spell shrivel like they have to try to get on the board they can't just like sit back forever oh yeah i mean if if this deck could just like sit and you know play drago and just like set up i think it's in its happy place you know yeah for sure so yeah i I think this deck has a lot of potential it gains some subtle tools but i think that they are sufficient to make it a real archetype whereas before i agree with you it was like this deck was really awkward if it didn't draw prize to malcolms yeah so one to ten where are you at I don't know, pretty high. I, I think that, like, this probably has the best chance of, like, being a non-gimmick, like, real deck moving forward. So, Is that, like, an 8? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll say, like, a 8.5. Yeah, I, I really enjoy putting specific numbers on these very abstract things for no oh. reason. Oh, yeah, let's just be completely arbitrary about it for... Yeah. Why the hell not? <laughs> that's why we're here, right? Yeah. They're not, they're not here for science, Jerry. Yeah, the set's not even out yet, you know, like... We we haven't been able to do science yet. We already got 10 decks or whatever, but that's beside the point. Okay, uh, what about Blue-Red Dynavolt Tower? So, I haven't haven't really sketched out a list for this. Do you have something particular in mind? Uh, Not really. It just seemed like Essence Scatter is a nice add. Magma Spray is a nice add. So, the deck has, like, Gearhulk and Dynavolt Tower to win with. It doesn't have a particularly good way to gain complete control or even just, like, look through a lot of cards at once, right? Like... Shota's Pro Tour deck, which is sort of different, but, you know, he was playing basically blue-red and splashing Painful Truths just for that effect. And Pull From Tomorrow, while it is very expensive, and I would certainly not play a lot of copies, I think is a fine one or two of. I think the blue-red Tower deck is very good at just, like, slowing the game down and making a bunch of land drops, and then you're hoping your Gearhulks or Towers finish the game, but sometimes it doesn't, right? So then having, like, some sort of Mana Sync, I think, is really good, and this card could be it. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, okay, first first of all, I want to go off on a little aside tangent, and then I'll get, back to, get back to our main point. So I, I, I think it's interesting that you call this deck Blue-Red Tower when everybody's been playing Teamer. True. But in, but in reality, what everybody is doing is splashing a tune with Aether in their Blue-Red deck. Yes. Which is something I find completely offensive. I don't know, man. Like it, it's, it's like a blue-green using a tune to fix its mana deck. But the only card, like, it's it's splashing its mana fixer. I, I understand that a Tomb of Aether is a really good card, and that, like, gaining gaining two to four energy is a big deal. It's not smart, and if you did this shit in, like, 2002, you would have gotten laughed out of the room. Yes. Like, a tune is good, I don't think it's that good. Yeah, I agree. Just, like, when you're, when you're playing, like, Rogue Refiners, and, like, maybe some Natural Obsolescence, and, like, some green cyborg cards, I can get it. But when you're literally only playing a two with Aether, I just it doesn't it blows my mind. Well, they they typically do play some other things, right? No, I, maybe cyber cards, maybe cyber cards, like tireless tracker or whatever. But like 
literally the only green card in the in the main deck of like the end game of the standard format was a tomb of ether yeah i mean it's not great all right whatever tangent aside uh anyway blue red because i'm not a crazy person and i don't splash for a ladle land yep i agree so like i played jeskai tower at the pro tour and basically every single game a i prayed to hit my fourth land drop and b i prayed to draw as many glimmer of geniuses as possible yeah, dude, that's another thing. It's the glimmer problem, right? Where your deck, if you draw a glimmer, is so much different than if you don't. Yes. Like, the deck was borderline very good when it draws glimmer by turn five every game. So this man is... Uh, I'm sorry, I can't think of the name off the top of my head. You just you just said it, I know. Pull from tomorrow. Pull from not, tomorrow. Not to be confused with pull from eternity. Oh, that's that's a classic. Anyway. That card is great. <laughs> yeah, pull, pull from tomorrow is is very good. I agree that it's probably like a very powerful two of or whatever. But base, basically, you just need like glimmer five and six. And if yep. you ever draw it on like turn ten, then obviously it's just Sphinx's Revelation ends the game. And in the meantime, you know you you can like sort of cycle it on four if you are in dire straits. So it, it also like opens up some possibilities of like playing main deck release the gremlins or you know some like very niche cards which you can just discard like the careful considerations of old. Man. I like that card. Yeah, me too. And Magma Spray was definitely a huge upgrade to this deck. Because, like, you know, previously I heard horror stories of, like, these Dynavolt Tower decks never drawing Torrential Gear Hulk and killing a Scrap Heap Scrounger, like, six times. And eventually dying to it, which is just embarrassing, obviously. Well, that's why you need to splash a tune to get your natural obsolescence online. and No doubt. <laughs> but now we got Magma Spray, so... Yeah, so we're saved. This deck didn't receive a lot of cards, but it is possible that the very few it got are, like, a big enough deal to make it a good deck. Yeah, and Tower was the third or fourth best deck, depending on how you want to look at it, you know? I am a little afraid that, like, you know, this deck is very incentivized to just, like, jamming its Tower and then kind of building its game plan around that. So yeah. if, like, you just play Tower on three and your opponent Manglehorns it, that's just fucking embarrassing. It is, it is really gross, for sure. And it's possible that with pull you don't even necessarily need to be a tower deck it's just a kind of convenient win condition yeah it's definitely possible maybe you move from like the three or four copies to you know like two it's also possible that you just could play a normal control deck yeah maybe just having this you know actual bad stroke of genius is enough what about sensor how do you feel about the, that card uh i think this card is very very good yeah yes i, I don't think wow. you actually need like Drakehaven or whatever to make the card good it's just like these blue control decks desperately need to get out of the first four turns alive. Yeah. So once you do that, you know, it's it's convenient to cycle it for, for you. You can also just like get people, you know, just like cycle it on the fourth turn. Your opponent feels good. Then they like jam Avison. You're like, all right, gotcha with the second one. <laughs> it's it's sort of a gotcha, but not really. Yeah, it's, you know, you kind of get them. I, I'm not saying like, you know, put four of these in all of your blue control decks or whatever, but I think this card is very playable. Yeah, I do too. And it certainly helps, too, because before you had Negate, and they knew that they were safe playing, like, their three-mana creature if they were on the play. And yep. you, you basically couldn't do anything to them. And it's like, their retaliation is play anticipate. You're just like, whatever, man. It doesn't matter. And now they have Essence Scatter, so it's like, okay, you know, there's this little guessing game. But, like, if you draw the wrong one and they guess correctly, it's kind of a nightmare for you. So just having Sensor and just being able to cover your bases, and if they don't play anything worthwhile, you get to cycle, try and hit your land drops, whatever. Like, it just seems fine to me. L let me assert it this way. I think I would play at least one copy in every single one of my blue control decks, just because, like, the equity you gain by, like, cycling this on turn one is just, like, so good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, too. 
Yeah, if they, if they ever play off curve, like, that's all these blue decks need is, like, a turn, like, a half turn. Yep. I, I think this this card is, like, uh, maybe comparing it to Anticipate is kind of stepping my bounds a little bit, but I think it's just kind of better. I think Anticipate is incredibly overrated. Well, I definitely agree with that, but, like, it was a necessary evil. But, like, this kind of occupies the same spot on the curve. It, like, helps you dig to your land drops, because that's all Anticipate really did in reality most of the time. The kind of joke was that, like, oh, maybe it gives you some selection off Gear Hulk, or maybe it sets up your turn three counter spell. But yeah, you just need something to do on turn two, some way to spend your mana if they don't do anything or don't do anything worth countering or whatever. And I think cycling is a perfectly reasonable way to just fix that gap, and you can just cut Anticipate from your deck. Like, a lot of the decks that I'm building, uh, and granted, some of them have Drakehaven, but a lot of the decks I'm building just, like, play 27 land and some off-color cycle lands, just because why not, you know? Yep, I mean, that was a very common thing with, like, blue-white control decks with temples, so I don't see why it wouldn't work here. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a little different, and I definitely don't want people to get the wrong impression. Yes, they, they, they are worse. This, let's just... Say it one more time. They are worse, for sure. Yeah. I, I would rather play 27 land and 6 or 7 cycle lands and a couple sensors than play, like, 25, 26, and 4 anticipates. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That makes perfect sense to me. So, we did it. We we broke control. Uh, I don't know about that, because they're probably just going to, you know, get deep-fiended and then, you know, exhausted and killed <laughs> by drakes, but yeah. whatever. Uh, well, what about blue-white control? So, one of the things that I think is interesting is, like, Glimmer cast out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the, you know, pretty good catch-22 or whatever. Like, frequently how I would play against these blue control decks is, like, don't play anything on turn three or, you know, a very low-impact play on turn three and then just try to, like, overload their mana on turn four. You want them to make a hard choice. Like, the turn they want to Glimmer, they actually have to, like, use their mana in Counterspell or whatever. But now they have, like, you know, two good ways to either, you know, gas up or impact the board on turn four. And in, in addition, they have, like, more good ways to generate velocity, I guess, is the best way of putting it or whatever. They're they're definitely going to be less clunky as a whole. I think that their draws yes. are just going to be smoother as a result of, like, cast out and the cycling lands and sensor and even if they still play Anticipate, you know, like... They're, they're always going to have things to do with their mana. They're going to have a lot more velocity. They're going to be seeing more cards. And the thing I like with Glimmer Cast Out is basically what you were describing, where it's like, yeah, you would you would hold your powerful spell until their Glimmer turn, force them to counter it, and then they can't Glimmer. And like we were saying, like if, if they don't get to Glimmer, their draws are just so much worse. And I think that changes a little bit because of how cycling impacts everything and changes their deck, where it's like maybe the reliance on Glimmer is a lot lower than it used to be. Yeah, but like, the the big big bridge was like the deck desperately needed to glimmer to hit six mana to Gear Hulk. But now that your deck is a lot more streamlined in general, and you're going to hit your land drops more frequently, that stress is is lessened by a lot. Yeah, but that aside, if they're holding their card for your glimmer turn, and their response to your good card is just cast out, it's just like you you accomplish nothing. Yep. They, they could even just not have the glimmer, and then they still get to deal with their thing. Right? It's like the nightmare scenario is like if they don't have glimmer and don't have a counter spell, and you play Gideon, right? Right. E- even if they're like, oh, you know, he might have a counter spell, they know that they should play their Gideon because it stops you from casting glimmer anyway. And now you actually have a way to punish them for it. Yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible Blue White might have picked up enough tools. Yeah, I mean, I I just want to play like I started building Jeskai Sahili. And it was like, no, oh, I mean, I have enough cards, I think, with Cast Out and maybe Gideon of the Trials and all these other things where I, I don't even think I necessarily need the combo. And now you have so many counterspells. You have, like, so much insulation from things like Gideon and the combo that 
I don't think that you need to, like, be re-comboing people in order to have a shot against them. I think you can actually play just a full control game. You're just going to find your torrential gear hulks much more frequently than before. And if worse comes to worse and you flood out, don't find gear hulk, you have pull from tomorrow. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really hope that, you know, a traditional control deck actually is viable, kind of break up the monotony a little bit, but we'll see. I mean, it's still tough for these decks to handle Scrapheap's Ground or Heart of Kirin. True. I mean, if you're on the play, now you have counter spells for a lot of that stuff, and you have cast out for scrap heap, which is obviously not a great answer, but it is an answer. And you can you can like bubble it with Gideon and stuff like that. So like you have a lot of small things, I think, that help you a decent amount. Yeah, that's reasonable. I don't know. We'll see. And especially like I guess if you're draking, then those actually are extremely impactful against Mardu. Yeah. And yeah, and then there's just the option of playing Drakehaven. Maybe you don't even need Gear Hulk. Or you just play like two or something in three havens or whatever. Yeah, I definitely think you're going to play some number of gear hulks either way. But any way to be less reliant on six drops is nice. Yeah, because those games where you like miss your six land drop or ETB's tapped or whatever, it's like the game is over because you're already operating on such slim margins. Yep. I'm, I'm just looking forward to the day where people are casting torrential gear hulk to gain six life off renewed faith. That would just, <laughs> that would warm my heart. Dude, that's another thing. It's just... Like, it gives you another way to actually fully stabilize the game. It's another mode on your split card, Torrential Gear Hulk. Like, Renewed Faith is nice. It really is, Jerry. So, the last thing was Black Green Delirium, uh, specifically the creature one. I don't want to talk about this too much, but it's just like, you know, they got some new creatures. The Green God, I think, is really powerful. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we kind of touched on it with Liliana. Like, I think that's more likely how things would go is more towards the mid-range control route with her because she's so powerful but i do agree that the green god is really easy to turn on i think and probably just super good there's there's also things like channeler initiate which i initially thought would just be pretty good in these decks because they were playing servant of the conduit anyway and then i realized that it's not a combo with winding constrictor uh no why did you think it would be well, I didn't think it was a combo, but it's like, no, it's actually just really bad. So, like, it, it might be bad enough that you actually just can't play them in the same deck. Yeah, because it just auto-kills it, right? Yeah, which yeah. which makes me very sad, but... <laughs> I like that. I think it, it's cool that you kind of have to diversify your packages, but you also have the option of choosing different packages. Yeah, but anyway, I, yeah, I think that deck gained a lot of cards, and it's it's basically the same deck. It just has some new tools. But the thing that I like about this is, that, like, we we get to talk about... Ten different decks, they're all very different. They are different than things that were happening before. Obviously, the the amount of power in your deck that you need to break into, like, the top tier of standard is very high, given, you know, the format from last year. But, these like, we have so many different tools now to do all these different cool things. And I think that things are going to change. Like, I think that this set is actually good enough that... You know, as far as, like, bannings or whatever, like, I think none of that stuff needs to happen. I think we're just okay. Yeah, I agree. And we're not even, like, talking about, for example, like, how the new... Not that I'm saying that the new Nissa is busted, but we're not, like... The, the tone of the conversation is not that, look at this new Planeswalker that is super powerful that we, like, suddenly get to fight the, the old problems with. It's, like, just all the decks, they're, they're going to operate more consistently. They're going to hit their land drops. They're going to be able to interact more easily with, like, things like Cast Out. They have... You know, different diverse threats of like Drakehaven. Marvel has, I guess, a new way to win the game on the spot, which might not be the best argument or whatever. But it's it's not great. But it's like, <laughs> oh man, everything everything cycles back around, right? And it's like, yeah. oh man, Marvel used to be the enemy. Now it's like, you know, please God, it's like, why, why can't Marvel be a deck too? You know, then we'll have, then we'll have three decks in our format. It'll be great. <laughs> but basically, the point I'm trying to make here is that 
nothing oppressive has been printed. It's just that every other kind of archetype that was previously just a little too weak has gotten a little bit stronger. Yeah, and Sahili and Mardu have basically gotten nothing. Yeah, I, I mean, you're going to see new cards pop into those decks, of course, but like, there's no new Heart of Karen essentially. Do you do you want to talk about Nissa real quick? Because I would like to. Sure, I, I think Nissa is really cool. I, I don't know if it's like one of the best design planeswalkers I've ever seen, but like, I don't know. It's made me think. I guess that's the best way of putting it. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I was just like going through the list of like blue green things and like you know maybe the cryptolith right decks and stuff like that and it's like yeah these are like all sweet value things that you could be doing i i definitely like this and it's like this i guess this is a card that could in theory go in four colors to healy right yeah todd played it today and it was you know pretty powerful but like that's a deck with like enchantments in it and other planeswalkers so like you're not really getting the full value also felidar guardian is is not a combo with with nissa correct but I, I do think it kind of fits the theme you know it does yeah i mean like again this is like another very powerful thing you can play on turn three if you're on the play and it's and she's not threatened like she immediately goes to three loyalty after you play it for one and then scry two and then you know she's threatening to you know accelerate you by hitting more land drops or put rogue refiners directly into play and both of those things are super powerful i think we touched on most of the good cards except for her and that's because we don't have a deck for her yeah, so I, I wrote about a blue-green crush deck before she got spoiled, and she's actually perfect for that deck, because that, all that deck wants to do is hit its land drops. So I had crush on my list of cards to potentially look at. I couldn't come up with anything, like, remotely playable. Yeah, I don't know. Your, your deck doesn't look very playable either, but... I agree with that, which makes me sad. But yeah. Nissa is a lot better than the four-mana cycler, let's put it that way. Yeah, the four-mana cycler is kind of sweet, but... Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's the kind of card that I like, but that I realize oh, is probably not good. Dude, I figured it out. Hit me. You play Blue-Red Tower, except you play a tune and this thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what are you going to do? Play into my Glimmer? Oh, no, it's just Rampant Growth. You should definitely have a Desert in your deck to break up the Sahili combo, by the way. It was not printed at the time. Okay. But but yes, that that is a pretty cool interaction. Even though it's directly printed on the card and it's super weird, but it's there. Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly don't like the design all that much. It is weird, but whatever. Yeah, it feels very um, Yu-Gi-Oh-ish is my understanding. Oh, I, I wouldn't know. Just like cards directly naming other cards and interacting directly with them. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I vaguely know of Corey McDuffie's Nationals deck, which had stuff like that. I, I, I tried to watch that match, actually, but I couldn't really follow anything because I don't know any of the cards, so. You got some Hearthstone, you got some Amonkhet, you got some Yu-Gi-Oh on the tail end. Man, uh, should we cover some other stuff? What do you want to talk about? <laughs> you got any hot new Shadowverse decks? Dude, the Shadowverse set came out like two weeks ago. I played a Another one? Yeah, they have Jesus. four sets now. All right. It's it's going well, man. Uh, the new set is pretty sweet, too. I was thinking of uh, trying out Gwent when that comes out. Okay, I've not looked at that one. That's That's one of the ones that... I have yet to play. Well, you played Final Fantasy VIII, right? Yeah. You know how, like, Triple Trad was, like, the best part of that about that game? So, Final Fantasy VIII was the only one I never finished, but I played, like, 20 hours of Triple Triad, yeah. Yeah. So, to be fair, The Witcher 3 is, like, a phenomenal game, and I would recommend it to anyone who likes action RPGs. It's super good, but uh, Quint was definitely awesome. Okay. So, there you go. Well, you got, got all noted. the topics. Noted. Let me know when it comes out, and I'll, I'll take a look. 
It looks it looks scary. It looks too different for me. But it's it's basically a more you know like the lanes and the Elder Scrolls game work that you're playing for. Yeah, a bit. Yep. yeah. It's, it's you know it's basically just full blend that. Uh, a new mini set just came out for Elder Scrolls too. <laughs> okay. And it just all dropped at the same time. Like Persona Five came out. I just have no time for anything. Good God. Yeah. I I mean we got to get off this so I can get back to quest roguing people. Yeah, and I want you to do that, too, because I, I want to talk about this, you know? All right. I want to right. talk to you about Quest Rogue later, and for that to happen, I need to play some, you need to play some. Word. Okay. <laughs> All right, so so we're done. Yeah, uh, everyone play Glacial Shard in your Quest Rogue decks. There you go. Yep, that's game. <laughs>